Hello folks, welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast where I can promise we'll never have any adverts. You'll always hear a Yorkshire accent. We chat with all of our guests about peak performance, fitness, health, nutrition, recovery, longevity, relationships and happiness because it doesn't matter whether you want to finish your first sprint triathlon, set a PB at your next event or just keep turning up until you're in your 90s. Each of these elements has huge significance, including nutrition. It's definitely something that you need to be more mindful of as you get older. And it's no longer good enough to say, well, because I'm lean and fit, then I don't need to watch what I eat. Starting in January, I'll be delivering a four-week nutrition course. So that's four one-hour workshops. And each session will be recorded. So if your schedule doesn't allow you to make each one live, you can still catch them. Cost will be £47 per person. And if you're interested in being part of this, please add your name to the list by clicking on the very obvious link in the show notes. They haven't been on for a while, but they are back today for a Christmas special. Yes, it's the reunion of the grumpy old coaches, myself, Mark Lathway and Steve Lumley, for one last time in 2022. If you can remember back to the one we recorded last year, we all set some challenges for ourselves and we chat about how those actually turned out. If you'd like a bit of a preview, it wasn't as well as we all hoped. With race entries plummeting, we talk about the state of the triathlon industry and we all have a jolly good rant about Ironman and their recent announcement about the future venues for the Ironman World Championships. Also, Mark tells us about his new bike shop venture. So we hope you enjoy the chat. Let's get on with the Christmas special. All right, folks. Well, here we are. We sat in a pub. It's called the White Lion at Wrightington, which is to the side of the fells for me over in Lancashire. And the reason we're here is because we're recording the Christmas Grumpy Old Coaches podcast. Uh, actually, we're not looking too grumpy at the moment, are we? Because everybody's had a drink. Um, <laughs> so I'm joined today by Mark Lathway. Hello, Mark. Hello, hello. I don't, I'm surprised I let you over here, to be honest. Have you got your passport stamped? <laughs> we, we're having trouble with passports because Beth's just got her Canadian passport. She doesn't need another one. Otherwise, yeah. she'll have more than uh, James Bond. Is she an illegal immigrant? Is she not be no. here? Oh, she's all right. No, she's all right now. Okay. And also, uh, who's also had to get out of his own county and drive across the border, Steve Lumley. Hello, hello. Good to be here. Yeah, so we decided to do it in person. It was, it was a great idea. Um, and then we were going to go to Mark's house, and we thought, actually, we'll go to the pub. So firstly, apologies if we have if you hear the dog whining in the background. That's Steve's dog, Hatchy. He wants, uh, he wants a bit of love. If you hear us eating, that's because the food's been delivered to the table. And if you hear the clink of glasses, that's because one of us is getting another drink. Um, but apart from that, it's going to be the normal lads banter. So we've got a few things to talk about today. I've come up with an agenda, um, and the lads have agreed with me. So... Last year, um, we had a chat about everybody's um, challenges for the year. So Mark had a couple of Ironman races planned. Steve also had an Ironman planned, his first one for quite a while. And I was a bit worried about my fitness and I was doing a a gravel bike ride, a big one. So we're going to talk about those. Um, Mark was opening a new bike shop last year. So we're going to talk about how that's gone and just the general state of the industry. And then 
the three of us have been involved in triathlon for an awfully long time. And so we've seen it undergo an awful lot of changes. And one of the things that Mark as an event promoter and organizer has noticed, and that I've noticed as a commentator is just the, just a massive drop in the number of entries for races. So we're going to talk about that and the state of the industry. And then, well, the hot topic of the moment, particularly for a long distance triathlete is what on earth is going on with world triathlon corporation and Ironman. Who knows? but we're going to try and unravel it. So, chaps, off we go. Who wants to kick off? Mark, Steve's handing you the microphone. So uh, I've got a microphone attached to a little wooden peg. So, yeah, well, it's all top-draw professionalism here. So um, Ergonomic. What was your challenge from last year? Well, well, I, I can't remember what I actually said on the podcast, but my main challenges last year was I was supposed to be in Ironman UK and Ironman Wales neither of which came to fruition because I had a bloody chronic hamstring problem that requires surgery, so I couldn't take part in any, unfortunately. But you were training um, you were training okay for quite a long time up to the lead-up to Ironman UK, weren't you? Yeah, so I had surgery three years ago on the hamstring, and then it flared up in Feb, and I thought it might settle down again, but it looks like I need more surgery. So I tried, I thought maybe I could hobble through on half a hamstring, but um, sadly not, sadly not. So had it been bothering you then while you were training? It was just like an ache and, and did it slowly start getting worse or no. was it a sudden acute Yeah, tear? sudden acute pain. So what happened is I, I completely ruptured my hamstring. The hamstring ruptured off the bone, so it came off the, off the pelvis basically at the top end of the hamstring. And I had it surgically reattached. And then in February when I was in Lanzarote, I had a flare up. So it partially tore off the bone again. Yeah. And then it settled and I thought it'd be okay. And then it flared up again the week before Ironman UK. So, yeah, so sadly, it's actually settled down again now. So I, I still need surgery and I probably will have surgery next year, but it's actually settled down again and I can, I can get through and function on, you know, on the half a hamstring that's attached, actually. And you can function, but does that mean you can run uh, enough to be competitive? Well, it depends what you mean by, by competitive. I mean, uh, I think your hamstrings, <laughs> you really use your hamstrings when you're at like flat out sprint and you stretch out long stride and then you're forcefully pulling back. When you're actually just like running at Ironman pace or marathon pace, you're not really stressing your hamstrings that much. So in an Ironman, I've only got to run eight minute mile pace and that's a good time, isn't it? So I'll probably actually get oh, away with it. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> at my age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's actually, uh, so I can actually get away with it at the moment. But the thing is, I'm always at risk of flare up. So I'm probably going to have to have the surgery at some point. So how old are you now? Uh, 50 now. Does it ever cross your mind that if you continue to wreck your body you might not be able to do all the things you love i mean i know you love cycling and you love running on the fells and you know you've got your your little small holding now with your land there and you're looking after the horses does it ever make you think that if you continue to do this stuff in 10 years time all those things could be much more challenging and then for, cause you to sort of just take a decision to back off yeah i, I guess so i mean i suppose it's a double-edged sword isn't it because you could look at it and say when you get to 50, probably the one thing you don't want to be doing is backing off and stopping doing stuff. So I think not being active is probably not the answer. Um, but, you know, I spoke to the surgeon. So, I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous to say that only half of the tendon of the hamstring is still attached to the pelvis. But, you ca you know, 50% of the tendon is still actually quite strong. And mm. if you are only going out, so I only just go and jog easy now. I do two 30-minute runs a week with the, with the dog and then I run 90 minutes on a Saturday with a local group, maybe up to two hours. But we are just jogging very, very slowly. So it doesn't really put that much pressure on it. Mm. Um, and, yeah, but, you know, I, I will probably have it and we'll probably need to have surgery to have it reinforced. But, yeah, stop is not an option at the moment. Drinks break. Drinks break. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. 
So I know a lot of people, you had to pull out of Ironman UK quite close to the event, didn't you? I remember seeing a Facebook post saying, oh, my hamstring's flared up again, so mm. I'm not going to be able to do it. What point was that when you realised you weren't going to be able to race? It was one week before. Okay. So I know a lot of triathletes have been listening, going, oh, no, I'll be absolutely gutted now if I had to give up on a race. You know, a DNS and a DNF are the worst things in the world. I can't have that on my CV. But you've been involved in triathlon a long time, so does that make you more pragmatic when those things happen? I mean, I'm still disappointed. I mean, I think it's very different. If I'd been going into UK in the weeks before, months before, knowing that I'm absolutely flying and I'm strong and fit, and then suddenly a week before you were told you couldn't race, that's one thing. Going into UK knowing that you've not been able to train how you want to and you're constantly carrying a niggle, but you might be able to get round, and then being told you can't do it, is a, is another thing, isn't it? Mm. So I wasn't as disappointed because I'd not been going great anyway. And I knew that it was just a matter of, can I get round? But yeah, if I'd been super fit and then suddenly a week before I had to pull out, that would have been a different kettle of fish completely. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of races. I mean, 33 years of racing now. So it is what it is really, isn't it? You know, it's, uh, other things. <laughs> it's, it's interesting though, isn't it? We could maybe come back onto this when Steve tells us about his challenges that we're all coaches, but we all compete. And so I wonder if we have a different hat for when we're competing and things happen to us versus the hat we might wear when we're counseling an athlete who's had that sort of disappointment. Yeah. And I do think, and absolutely, I mean, I mean, you know, I know it's a very stereotypical point to make, but there is absolutely an age and experience thing linked in here, isn't it? If I go back 15, 20 years, I would have reacted very different to the way I do now because, because now we're all of that age. And, you know, you know, Steve in particular with his little, uh, little checked blanket on here like a granddad. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you get to an age where you, I suppose you've just not got the priorities, but you just see it with a bit of a more open eyes, don't you? You know, about the whole experience. And mm. I think that we, you know, we've talked about this many times on podcasts, how, you know, enjoying the experience more and things like that. I think you, you just, you start to, to recognize those things and experience and, and I suppose appreciate those things a lot more as you get older, don't you? So mm. you just see it through different eyes. Mm. All right. Well, Steve, over to you. Now, Steve has got a check blanket right on, there, but, but I'm all right. It's on. <laughs> what, what I would say is that Mark's also got a fleecy blanket over his legs and so have I. And the reason for that is we're, we are actually sat outside this pub. They've got some heated booths. Um, which we, we have to keep putting some money in the meeting to put the heating back on. So, so yeah, we've all got blankets I'm over the legs. I've off <laughs> You have. So, Steve, um, at the beginning of the year, you uh, <clears throat> declared your challenge, which, if you can remind the listeners. Well, it was uh, it was to do another Ironman after a four-year break. Wow. So, similar to my, any other one. <laughs> and which, which event were you going to do? It was Victoria Gassiers. Well, Basque country, Spain, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I got uh, one stage further than mine that I started it, <laughs> but I joined him on not finishing it. Podcast has failed. Go on, tell us, tell us so, about your racing. I mean, mechanics you know, car. Um, after four years out, did it feel a bit strange to go back to stuff? Because you sort of get out of the habit yeah, of just the, the yeah, whole race yeah, preparation, yeah. going to a race, standing on the start line. It's not, it's not comfortable anymore, is it? Um, it was, yeah, it wasn't that so much. It was the, it was the, it was the, I think we talked, it was the race strategy, really, that I went in. It was entirely my own fault. I've got nothing to blame. I went in underfit, underprepared. I mean, my aim was really just to finish, you know, like, like just to get another one done, really. Went there with some friends. Um, but it was, it was, you know, it was silly things like allowing myself to get dehydrated, which in your 40th Ironman, you know, it, it was very, very hot. But, um, you know, things like that, really, just sort of, 
entirely my own fault. Is that how many... Um, so you didn't finish? You got no, no I, got, I got to halfway on the run. Right. It was four-lap run, and I got to the, the end of the second lap, having taken over three hours to do that. And I was bouncing off walls, so I... Uh, yeah, I uh, called it a day. I, I remember. Were you singing a song, Steve? No. <laughs> We've told this story before. I don't know if you remember that we, we went to Ironman Canada, didn't we, years ago, and we were talking about things. And Steve says, yeah, I have this song I sing when things get tough. And I kept seeing him during the race because we passed. And I said, How, how's it going, Steve? And he said, not singing yet, Si. Yeah. <laughs> and then a bit later on, how are you going, Steve? Yeah, I'm not singing yet. And then later on, he went, how is it going, Steve? He says, leave me alone, I'm bloody singing. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't even get to the singing bit. didn't even get to the singing bit. The singing, the singing bit is to keep me going when I'm going quite well. <laughs> ah, I was so, no, well, having said that, I had a very nice swim. <laughs> so, Steve, what I'm, what I'm interested about is you go to this race having not prepared a race strategy. No, no, I'm not prepared a race strategy. Were you doing it on memory? <laughs> yeah, I think okay. that's a good way of putting it. All right, and then you go along and you commit a cardinal sin, as in you don't drink enough. Essentially, yeah. And then you have to DNF. Yeah. Right, so if if Steve the coach was talking to Steve the athlete, what would he be saying? <laughs> After he'd stop hitting him. <laughs> I think it was. I, 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 I've I've done it before. I've been guilty of it before. Is is not coasting, but like assuming because you've done so many before that you're gonna that somehow that will help you get through it better than it would if you'd done less or none before. And that's just bollocks. Absolutely, you know. <laughs> but you kid yourself into oh, you know, I've I've got the history, I've got the background. I don't need to train as much, or I can get by. You know, I'll get through. You know, I haven't done one for so long, but. I'm really experienced. It's all in the memory bank. But it doesn't matter if you're experienced or not. If you're not fit enough, you're not fit enough. You're dehydrated, you're dehydrated. <laughs> well, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Is, is, um, that the interesting thing there is, um, and probably for listeners, is just because it's almost like a reset after you've done one. You have to start again. Yeah, yeah. But there's obviously there's a little bit of memory, and if you if you're sensible or you've got a coach, then you do a bit yeah. of reflecting about <clears throat> what you did well and what you could do better. But essentially, you're starting again from each one, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, I think. I mean, the the advantage from having done a, a few is that you do know what to when you when you've had a good one. You do know what you obviously you can think about. Okay, what have I done to get there? So I do know what it takes. You know to get. To a place where I can have a good race, yeah, but that doesn't stop me sort of trying to shortcut. Not trying to shortcut, but if I do, I have to shortcut it for one or each other. Thinking, oh, I'll get right, I'll get right, I'll be all right. You know, I'll blag it. You can blag a sprint or something, but any any anything long distance, you can't. If you're not yeah. fit enough, you're not fit enough, and it's, no. it doesn't matter how old or ugly or experience you are it will come out to roost yeah i think you could probably blag a standard just about couldn't you particularly if you've got a, a good background of endurance training but but beyond that even even a half distance race i think you're pushing it if you think you can blag it even at the highest level yeah, yeah. um you might be able to get round and finish it but you'll be um your expectations will be met will <laughs> no but what i will say just coming back to the, to the race in spain it was cracking race if, if people are looking for a race it's, I've heard that yeah it's a it's a lovely brilliant. part of the world it's a nice course um some the consolation <laughs> for me was it some nice vineyard tours as well after the race 
<laughs> but no, it is. It's really nice. Nice, nice little town, well, city town. That was one of the things we never did when we had that race in Canada, was it? It was go and visit all the nice vineyards around there. Perhaps we should have done to sort well. of wipe away some of the, drink away some of the disappointment. Having done it now, I would recommend it. Yeah. Top tip from all the coaches. There's nothing like a good drinking session afterwards that won't make you forget your bad race that you've just had. Especially if you've got good friends with you. <laughs> yeah, that helped as well. Well, I know you're really interested how I got on. Oh, what have you been up to? <laughs> so I, um, I think last year when we chatted, um, Beth and I had been to the Maldives with some friends. Um, we then we then went away for four days with my brother's side of the family to a, a, an all inclusive. And then I was doing a lot of skiing during January and February. I feel like I was in and out of the country, going off to the Alps, and I love the skiing. But the problem with that was that whenever I got back, my legs were tired for a few days. So I never felt like I got into any training in between. I did a bit of, I did a little bit of psych, uh, a little bit of swimming, but I didn't really get into any. And in March, I suddenly realized that we were going to have to do this race at the, in the middle of June. And it was a 300 kilometer gravel ride. Which ride was that? It was called the Frontier. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it went from the Southwest of Scotland uh, right across um, through Keel the Forest yeah. and into Northumberland and then across. Are you okay for you? Nice and warm. All good, mate, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it was 300 kilometres. It was right in the middle of the summer, so it started at sunup. We, we, we set off at 4.30 in the morning and I think we got to the Northumberland coast at about 10.30, just as the sun was setting. Yeah. We also had the tailwind from heaven. So you know all those years of riding you've done when you think, why can't I just get tailwind all day? Well, this was the one day when we had a tailwind, probably about 80% of the day, and boy, did it did it help because it was a challenging course. Um, 50% off-road and proper gravel, not, not, not sort of gnarly gravel. Um, there was a bit in the middle we got caught out by because it, it, we all thought, it said, yeah, 400 metres of... Uh, 400 metres of what they call hiker bike, where you had to pick your bike up and carry it through the heather or up this track. No, actually, it was 400 metres of height gain <laughs> from the valley in the moor to the very top, to one of the highest points on the moor, up this single track through the gorse and the heather. So it, you, you try and carry your bike on your shoulder, and then it gets caught in the hedge, and so you drop it and you have to go down. So then you can't push it on the little track because you're either standing above it or standing below it or pushing it forward or dragging it behind you. So... That was about half an hour of frustrating mm. stuff. But then once you were on there, you got a 10-mile descent back down into um, Keela Forest, which is brilliant. Nice. So it, it was a great adventure. But back in March, I'm thinking, now nah, I don't even know. I'm, I'm three kilos overweight, and I've not done much cycling, and we've got this thing in nine weeks. But back to Steve's point. Did you finish it, by the way? Yeah, I did, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're the only one who managed to finish the challenge then. No, oh, yeah. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I'm the only one of so us. You're the winner. <laughs> so I'm the only one of us who managed to finish the challenge. I wasn't, I wasn't the only one who finished that gravel ride. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd, re I'd recommend it. Really would. But yeah. back to Steve's point, I had I had the history of doing lots and lots of cycling. Yeah. But of course, that that doesn't always carry through. I knew how to pace an event and to yeah. take it steady. And you know, we had checkpoints to get to, and we decided on a strategy that would that would get us to the finish so we didn't have to stop over overnight. There was one, the last but one station. If you got there at a certain time, you had to camp overnight and then you weren't allowed to set off until um, 
sunrise the next day. So we wanted to get back to the end before um, before it was too late. So yeah, I was I was tired for days afterwards. Yeah, not surprised. Um, but I think it was nineteen hours of cycling all told. Oh, yeah. And I, if we hadn't had that tailwind, then it would have been a full day's worth of cycling. Um, so uh, I loved it. Um, so if anybody's looking for some gravel ra- riding challenges next year, the Frontier. Uh, I think yeah. it's I think it's part of the same route where they use for the Dirty Reaver yeah, as well. Yeah, a lot of friends wanted the Dirty Reaver in this. It was brilliant. Yeah. So really, really well organised. Um, and there were quite a few triathletes I saw on yeah. there. Um, some that I knew and some of them were people that I didn't know, but I, I recognised that they had bags, you know, outlaw bags or Ironman bags yeah. or T-shirts. Which brings me around to the next part of the conversation, Right. What's happening with race entries? Last in COVID, people were complaining that they couldn't do races, and I think everybody started organising their own. I know you put in a few mics at the mark, um, so we're going to sort of talk. You can tell us your personal experience, and you felt like there was a pent up demand, so that as soon as we were given the all clear after COVID to go back to doing races, everybody would start flooding back. But after an initial bit of excitement, it seems like. That's not happened, and I know a lot of races are struggling to get entries. So, what, what's been your experience as a race organizer? So, we organize a whole range of events. So, under Epic Events, we organize trail races, we organize um, open water summit events, we organize triathlons, we organize cycle sportives. So, I, I don't think it's right to say that event numbers across the board are down. I think in triathlon events specifically, yes, without a doubt. Um, but it depends on the sport. So we have another website called chillswim.com where people will go and swim the length of Coniston or the length of Ullswater or the length of Windermere. And those kind of destination events, if you like. So rather than going swimming, so we organize some under epic events where you might swim, swim a mile and it's round a set of boys in a lake. Those events are doing okay, but the events where you will, you will complete the full length of Coniston get a medal for some of the length of Coniston or the length of Windermere or the length of Chills, uh, Ullswater. Those events are doing really well. Really good numbers. Uh, trail races as well. We've, we've had really good response. So we organized Montana Lakeland 100. We had, what, 5,000 ballot applications for the 2,500 places. Most ballot applications we've ever had in 48 hours. Trail race numbers are really good. Um, but triathlons in particular um, are just not great. And, uh, and that's across the board, across the UK, with every event organizer, with Ironman, with Outlaw, with whoever else. All triathlon events are not great. However, what I would say is... It's what you're measuring that against. So if we're talking specifically to people that are still entering events, but if we're talking specifically about triathlon events, is that the dog moving that bowl? Flicking the gravy off. What's it doing? You're giving the dog your pie. (laughs) (laughs) If (laughs) If you're looking specifically at triathlon events, then yes, numbers are down across the board. But what are you measuring that against? So... Let's just say there was a real boom in triathlons. I mean, because I think there was a boom in triathlons when the, after the Brownlee's success, it created a real boom in triathlon, okay? Um, so if you're measuring it against that boom, then numbers are down. If you're measuring it against what it was 10 years ago, then they're not probably down. So it depends how you're measuring it. So I think we're saying our numbers are really down, but I think this is probably the new norm. I think there was a boom period and we're measuring it against the boom period and that boom periods are probably over now. So um, I think all those organizers who 
really needed that boom period. So I, th- I think it's difficult for the big organisers. If you're paying, like, you can imagine with Outlaw and Ironman, the cost they've got, the overheads and everything of the massive venues, they need thousands of entries to make it work. Maybe some of the smaller events a bit can be a bit more flexible. But yeah, definitely triathlon entries across the UK, every organiser. You can still enter Ironman UK. You can still enter Ironman Wales, all those kind of things, you know. We've seen publicly in Hamilton's posted on his own Facebook page. Didn't he post something that caused a bit of uproar the other week? Didn't he posted something where there was a discount for your entries, which caused uh, Black Friday a, thing. an interesting backlash? And I'm not going to kind of talk about the rights or the wrongs of that. But And I think he posted something along the lines of, I've never, ever needed to do this before, but this is the first time I've ever needed to do it. So you can see those organisers are struggling. Um, so I don't think there is a downturn in events in particular. I think it's in tri from us. I think it's triathlon events which are down. So yeah, and that's that's pretty standard. That, you know, that without a shadow of a doubt, triathlon interests are down across the UK. Steve, what's your thoughts on this? I mean, you've been involved in triathlon <coughs> for longer than I have, and and um, just a bit longer than Mark. But also <laughs> as a coach, what, um, so talk about the race entry scene, but also your experience from coaching. Are you seeing the same interest from people to train for triathlon now? Um, in terms of well, in terms of like coaching clients, I've had definitely had a drop off. But on the other hand, I've I've kind of not wanted that, but I haven't. I've been actively looking for new clients um, for the last few years. Well, since COVID, probably. Um, so that's hard to say. I would agree, Mark. That you know, and, and with anything, and when any anything booms, it always reverts to mean, doesn't it? It can't. It can't be. It can't be climbing forever. Yeah. You know, so there has, and, and let's face it, triathlon is a niche sport and it, it always will be. It's not going to be a mainstream sport um, in terms of participation, mm. you know. Um, in terms of, of like TV audiences watching it sort of passively, then yes, I think that's probably, if you look at the coverage, things like, uh, you know, coverage on Eurosport from the Super Series and, and, and even the, the World Series itself, there seems to be a lot more TV coverage. <clears throat> So I think more people are probably watching it passively or interested passively and know about it, but then actually participating. I think, you know, it's good. after a boom, as I say, it's always going to drop off yeah. Yeah. to some extent. The other thing to consider is that, you know, obviously COVID came along, disrupted the globe. That still sort of hasn't really settled down yet. So nobody quite knows, you know, I think there's there's this, probably a lag from people having races cancelled, you know, for two years running, having spent a lot of money, not getting some of it back, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and the other thing is that, that certainly in the, in the UK, but, you know, most of the world, financially, we're all in a bit of a downturn, aren't we? So people are probably, and again, you know, spending money on, on triathlon races is right at the top of your, or right at the bottom of your sort of priority list, isn't it, if you are... Yeah if you are worried about your sort of, uh, you know, your income and outgoing. So yeah. it probably all, all those things combined. Yeah. Um, I think in, um, I was just going to say it's the, the cost of living thing. I mean, again, it's very debatable because I think, you know, I mean, my view is that the, the, the news just hammer people permanently with it. And that's, which I think is getting a lot of people down. You know, I think the yeah. media outlets are a bugger for this. Is it hammering people permanently, constantly telling them about the cost of living crisis and negativities and everything else. And then the next thing they put on the news is about the uh, mental health problems in the UK. And you think, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you probably caused most of those, haven't yeah. you? You know, but I think for us with epic events, because our events are, 
you know, you're talking about £45 for a triathlon or £45, £50 for a triathlon. That's very different to paying £500. So I didn't, I, I'm, you know, I love Ironman events. I race them every year. I raced two last year, but I haven't entered anything for this year because I lost £1,000 on two events last year. And that's obviously my, it's not their fault. It's my fault. I accept the terms and conditions. So I'm not criticizing them in any way. But uh, but I just kind of thought, you know what, I'll do a couple of local events and obviously it won't cost me much, anything because because I, I, because I'm involved with the company. But it's um, I think there's a difference between paying forty five fifty pounds for a triathlon and, and paying five hundred pounds. And I think those big decisions for the bigger organisers probably have that less flexibility. But what I would say is, you know, we're talking about this boom. Like you say, what so are are they down or was there just a boom and we're comparing it against the boom? You know. Um, so I'll give you the same example from an event organizer. Again, with Epic Events, we organize several cycle sport eves. So we used to organize five and we now organize only two. So at the time when Team Sky was was really popular and Bradley Wiggins won the Tour de France, we had five cycle sport eves and we, we could get, you could organize a sport eve and get a thousand riders. It was so easy to, to get that, those kind of numbers. So now we just have two. We have the Lakeland Loop and the Cumbrian Cracker. The Lakeland Loop in April and the Cumbrian Crackers in November. And they've been, we've had, ran those for years, for 10 years, and they've always been popular. But we've dropped all the others because we just can't get the numbers in. So the cycle sportifs were at an all-time high probably six years ago, seven years ago. And they've come right down as well. So it's not just in triathlon. There are trends where sports will be at a boom and then they'll come down to a, to a, a more steady norm. Don't, don't you think, no, in business... As there's a boom, you get more interest and then you get more people putting things on. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether it's you know, bike shops, which we'll come on to talk to about in a moment, Mark, or whether it's triathlon events or, or whatever, pubs, you know, doing this or that or the other. And then, and then there's a sort of like a saturation in the market and, you know, you're not getting any more new clients coming in, but you've still got people wanting a piece of that pie and then there's a bit of a reset, and eventually there's a bit of a sort out for one thing and another. Maybe it's caused by COVID and people thinking, actually, not only am I thinking about the cost of living, but, but I'm also thinking about, actually, I've got some other interests now. I like to do these fastest known times, or I'd like to, I've, I've, I've become interested in gravel riding or, you know, open water swimming. But also, I think in the boom, you get a lot of people thinking, right. It's not. I'm not just putting these events on because I'm passionate about doing something for people locally to me, and it's a nice little hobby. They actually turn it into a business, and they have overheads, and then they expand, and then they've got bigger overheads. So, like the big events you talked mm. about, but then in a in a downturn, all of a sudden they're left holding these overheads that they've committed to over several years, and that's where you've got the trouble. And eventually, some of those people will, uh, some of those business sadly will fall by the wayside, won't they? Because they just mm. they just can't make. Yeah. Make ends meet, but yeah. eventually it will sort itself out. Yeah, Steve, you had. Yeah, I was just, I was just going to sort of <clears throat> expand on the point Mark made about cycling, really, because it was, I forget the exact time, it was probably about a decade, eight years ago, when you remember cycling, cycling was the new golf. Yeah, twenty twelve. Yeah. Um, so again, you you had a boom in that. <clears throat> I think it was a, probably the the tech expansion as well, and. Um, the the American interest, Team Sky and Bradley, Team Sky over here, yeah, and so you got all the businessmen and women, I suppose, but mainly men. Let's face it, buying the kit. Silicon Valley was huge for that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a new yeah, golf. Yeah. The guys going out, the tech guys going out, yeah. five o'clock in the morning. But to that's just another sort of talk about business. Another yeah. example of a of a bit of a boom, or fad's probably not the right word, but sort of a period of interest, which again is is probably on the decline now. Yeah, definitely. Um, similar to triathlon, really, but I've, I've 
there's still a lot more people cycling than there were before that. You know, it's just somewhere come in for a year or two and then find something else. Yeah, there's a lot more awareness of cycling now. And like you said, Steve, a lot more, uh, Mark, you said a lot more awareness of triathlon, people watching it on the telly. Crowds yeah. are still fairly big, aren't they, at the main events, you know. Yeah. I guess I've not been to Ironman UK for a while, but I know when, when Ironman Wales happens, the Tempe's still pretty pretty chocker. Difficult to get a hotel there several months but you in know, advance. It's surprising to see Ironman Wales entries are still open. And that they've always filled very quickly, haven't they? You know, last year it was a big thing about, you know, people trying to get in on the date they opened, at the time they opened. And you can still enter Ironman Wales now. So you can see that drop off there. But one of the things, the other things to discuss as well is, so you're aware that Ironman have bought into UTMB mm-hmm. about that. So, mm. so that, and they've made a big claim about, about how trail running is the next thing. And they've bought into UTMB and they're buying trail races left, right and center. You know, UTMB kind of took them on board as a good, a big investor. And they've been buying lots of trail races. So there was only one UTMB event in the, in, in the UK and they bought that. But they've been buying them. So they're trying to do this very similar to what they've done with like, you know, UTMB is the Kona. And then they, they, they own all these other trail races. And to do the Kona, so to go and do UTMB, you have to go and qualify at one of the trail races, which they own. So that model of to qualify for our big race, Kona or UTMB, you have to do one of our races. And so the UTMB is following that same model as, as Ironman now. So, you know, but we organize, so the, the, with Epic Events, we also organize Lakeland 100 in the UK. And, and we had, yeah, it's two and a half thousand places for Lakeland 100. And we had in 48 hours, 5,000 ballot applications, oh. applications. So there's certainly an area which in trail running for us, that's certainly something where the numbers are really high, you know. So it's, it's trends, isn't it? And that's what it is. It's not good or it's not bad. It's just trends. And that's what happens. And you follow the trends. Do you think this is the same group of adventurous people like us thinking, actually, I'm a bit tired of doing triathlon? I mean, for goodness sake, I think everybody would have sympathy for us being tired of triathlon. We've been in it for most of our lives. So if we decided that we want to try something that just challenged us a little bit differently, trail running, gravel riding, you know, long distance open water swimming, we've, we've had a bit of a taste of those, but riding 300k on a gravel bike is way different to the 180 kilometers I've oh, done yeah, on, a, yeah. on a triathlon bike. I mean, absolutely. But if you think, I say, look at the events I organize and I know a lot of the people. So I know people will go and do Ironman, but then they'll think, I'd love to do the Lakeland 50 or the Lakeland 100. And then they'll look at a Chilsom event and go, oh, I could swim the length of Coniston as well. So they're just fit people who want challenges. Mm. So they'll want to do one or the other and they'll get, they'll switch between them. And that's, that's what they do. And I think, you know, I think tri- triathlon personalities are very type A, aren't they? They're very, they're all or nothing. It's hundred percent. And I'm looking what I eat and I'm measuring my data and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I think they could probably sustain that for so long and then they move on and they want something else, you know? So, you know, it isn't, a, it's not a good thing and it's not a bad thing. It just, that's just how it works. You know, there's, it ebbs and flows, doesn't it? And people move on to other things. So two questions then. What do event organizers do? You can, you've both got the experience to answer this, but what, what do event organizers needed to do in order, well, to think about themselves first? What do, what do they need to do in order to maintain interest in their events? Is it all about putting local stuff on at a lower price, do you think? or making it more of a destination-type <clears throat> event? Um, I mean, there's multiple things here, isn't there? I mean, a lot of the events that we organise, I mean, a lot of the epic events are very kind of, I would say, personally, I'm not trying to sell them here, but they're just, compared to a, the, the bigger commercial events, they're much better value for money. And I think probably people recognise that. But around the Northwest as well, we do have a big community, and people know we do a lot for charity, and we do a lot for charity and the, the tri kids program in the schools we've delivered to 40,000 children now for free in primary schools so i think people see that and they know that we do a lot and they support us for that 
But then I think it's very different when you're organ- entering £500 entry fee events. That's a completely different financial commitment, isn't it? And I'm, again, I say I'm not, I'm not critical of it because I enter those events myself. So, but yeah, so I, I, I think... I think the reality is once that bubble has burst a little bit and the numbers are coming down, you have to accept that's the new norm. So if you need thousands of people to enter your event to make it work, you probably need to accept that it's, it may not work going forwards. So, yeah, I think we're lucky because we can be a bit more flexible. We can be a little bit more flexible with the events we have. If you know you've got, you, you have to get 3,000 entries at £500 each to make your event viable, then that's a very, very difficult thing to be faced with, isn't it? Steve? Um, what about from a competitor's perspective? Again, if we talk about these little events that are 45 quid, that reminds us of some of the events we used to do when we first started where you could rock up, there was a field, you lent your bike against the wall, yeah. you went off and did the swim, you came back, you know, and then when you crossed the finish line, you didn't get a medal or a T-shirt, you just got a pint of beer and a sandwich token. No, I think I think they are and will continue to be the sort of, you know, at the grassroots where the vast majority of, if we talk about triathlon, triathletes are going to get their exposure and experienced triathletes are going to do most of their races at that, lef- at that level um, simply because they have to. You know, you can't, if you're racing, say, I don't know, eight or ten a year races, um, very few people are going to be doing eight or ten Ironman level mm. races or international races or des- however you want to put it. You know, if you're spending... If you're, if you're going to a big race, you're spending at least a grand in this country, aren't you? Yeah. On, on an entries oh, accommodation travel. What is, t- what is the entry fee now for Ironman UK or Ironman Wales? It's 500 quid. But yeah. you've got, you're going to go down there on a Thursday. Yeah. You're going to stay You're going to stop there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, at least yeah. four nights in a hotel. Yeah. Um, you're probably taking time off work. Yeah, so you can't do that if you want to race every other weekend or, you know, as often as you feel like it. So those, those sort of, if you like, local grassroots... And you know I've raced Mark's race, and they're, you know they're far from they're far from amateur. How did you get on in that one, Steve? <laughs> I think we've covered that in previous <laughs> yeah. podcasts. Same as all the others. But go back to go back to the previous episode you know, to find out. They're, they're, they're tenth of the fee, but they're not a tenth of the value. You know, so and they're not a tenth of the effort either. They're certainly they're exactly well. It is. is it's twice the effort of every normal. Uh, well, you can, if you're distance. out there for longer, surely that's <laughs> yeah, you get more value, value isn't yeah. it? That's a Yorkshire you know, speech. So those there. those those level of races, the local ones that you can rock up to on the day or, or the day before, are going to continue to be uh, where most people are uh, participating, competing. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say, and it's difficult because you know we've talked about trends, and the current the current one is is gravel riding, isn't it? The current trend in cycling is gravel riding and, and you know, variations of. Mark will know more of these. It's difficult. I mean, race organisers can only really be reactive to trends, can't they? It's difficult. They can't come up with a new co- a new type of event or a new sort of variation on a theme. It's a lot bigger risk for them to put on um, something like that um, when they don't actually know what the level of interest will be, if there's any interest. I remember like a long, long time ago um, in, in Scotland, they put in the 95, 96, 97, they ran the Scottish Coast to Coast, which was uh, yeah. bike, run kayak. Yes. And it was it was taken from the New Zealand model. Which, which is a huge sellout success huge, every year, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And they tried to bring it over here. I did it. I did it every year and it was a fantastic experience. That was Robin Judd, wasn't it? And you got he, he was the, yeah. I always used to have the can of beer out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was in Scotland, in Finnish Aberdeen, you got whiskey. 
So, uh, I mean, but that... Jim Stark. Jim Stark, thank you, Jim yes. Stark. Yeah, he ran it. <laughs> he ran it for three years. I, I don't think he made any money. I think he might, made a loss. Um, it was, you know, it was a three-day. It was a big, you know, they're, they're taking the whole thing over three stages across Scotland. So the expense yeah. must have been considerable. Yeah. Um, so that was an example where he tried, I think he tried to create create demand. Well, also, what about X, X-Terra? X-Terra is huge in Europe. Back, X-Terra is huge in Europe. It's huge in America. I remember doing a race in Minehead and I thought, X-Terra, lovely mountain bike, off-road running, brilliant. You know, X-Terra is back next year in the UK. But they've, tried, but they've yeah. tried several times to bring it back, but it doesn't yeah. get, it doesn't just get the level of support they need to get some traction. Yeah, so you know, I always aim high. Tim Lloyd, who's an old mate of mine, you know they're bringing, they've got an X-Terra event this year. I didn't. In 2023, X-Terra's back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so... So, um, yeah, so I've known Tim for many, many years because I used to race for the, he was a manager of the Saab Salomon adventure racing team and I was on that team. So, and he's obviously the guy who runs all the always aim high events. So he's a, he's a cracking guy and they brought Xterra back. But all I would say about the gravel biking and the, and the mountain biking ideas of let's do a mountain bike triathlon and let's do a gravel bike triathlon or something like that. It's a bit like adventure racing and it's a bit like swim run. So people used to say to us, you should do swim run events. Swim run is the next big thing. So I always used to say, well, when it becomes the next big thing, when it becomes a big thing, then we'll do it. So we would, I remember racing adventure races. You remember ace races, Phil Humphreys from years ago? We'd go and do ace races and stuff like that. I think, I think the first time I met you, you'd done an ace race that year or something. Yeah, down in, um, down in Devon, I think it was, yeah. Well, the thing with ace races is you turn up and there might be five or 600 people there and you think, whoa, this is quite big. But there's only 500, five, 600 people in the whole country doing it and they were all there that weekend. And I think that's a bit like gravel riding and mountain bike triathlons, is that if you tried to organize a mountain bike triathlon or a gravel bike triathlon, it's hard enough to get the right numbers. You can't get the numbers on road. So you, only a very t- 10, 20% of triathletes will have a gravel or mountain bike, so it's never going to be viable for as a commercial thing. Well, it's not. I don't think it's just that. I think that you need a certain amount more technical skill on a gravel bike than you do on a road bike. Yeah, but how um, many triathletes have got gravel bikes and mountain bikes? So, so no, no, not every one of them. So also, you're already cutting yourself down. Yeah, but yeah. I think also um, <clears throat> people like you and me and Steve who ride mountain bikes, we think it's a great idea, but a lot of triathletes aren't, we know they're not, yeah, a lot yeah. of them aren't great cyclists yeah. anyway. It's okay riding on the road, but then taking them off road. Yeah. And, and also, I guess when you, when you're doing something off road that you've got, you've got to get land permissions, haven't you? From landowners. You can't yeah, just yeah, use, you, know you can't just say, well, we'll go on all the bridle paths that yeah. me and you normally ride on. Cause two people on the bridle path, bridle, there are certain restrictions about using a bridle path mm. for an event, aren't they? For a race. Yeah, there are. Yeah. It is a bit complicated and, and, and things like that. But, and, and yeah, landowners will charge if you're using bridle ways and, and uh, bridle ways or footpaths. You do charge for that kind of stuff. But the um, what I would say as well is it's equally that's why a lot of running events have gone onto the trails because um, people are asking for road closures on the roads as well. So it's actually cheaper for a lot of running events to go on trails. So so yeah, but I just think that, that if we organised a triathlon, when you're charging a, a you know a reasonable entry fee for a lot of those events, you need 400 people before you're even breaking even. If you organised a mountain bike triathlon or a gravel bike triathlon you'd be lucky to get three, 400 people. Right. Beth and I were volunteering in Kona. We're going to talk about Ironman World Championship soon. But, but, but we've, we volunteer at a lot of races. Beth comes along and volunteers at the Outlaw when I'm commentating. Um, I think that 
until I actually started doing that volunteering, I wasn't really aware of just how important volunteers are for the running of a race. And um, you don't realise how important they are until they're not there, until the water station doesn't get point out, or um, there's a turnaround that somebody's not marshalling and everybody goes off course. But how many triathletes do you know that have actually volunteered at races? And I, I think, you know, one of the things that perhaps if we're that engaged in our sport, I, I could ask people is, think about this. Think about when you go, firstly, when you go to an event, something we always say at Outlaw events is, please say thank you to the volunteers because they love it. They just love the fact that you just recognize that they're there to help you. Yeah. But certainly come along and try it. See what, the, see what the event's like from the opposite side of the yeah. fence. Yeah. And actually, that's, that will help our sport survive is if we can get volunteers to help out and to build that community. And, you know, with the cost of living thing that you've both mm -hmm. referred to already and quite rightly is let's support those local events in the same way we're going to talk about supporting local bike shops in a moment, local running shops. Let's support local events. Save yourself some money. Go and do an event. You might not be able to put an M-dot tattoo on, but yeah. think about what you're doing. Why, why are you having an M-dot tattoo? Yeah, I've got one. But actually, I've had it. I've had mine for twenty-five years now, and I'm thinking of getting it covered over because I, I'm I, not keen on this whole thing about the tattoo, finishing the race to get the tattoo. I was just going to say on the point of volunteers, this is an interesting conversation as well because you've got, let's say, we've got a commercial event organizer who people assume are making a lot of money, okay? Because generally, a lot of competitors do that simple formula where they look at the number of people who enter and they multiply it by the entry fee. And they say that's how much money they're making, which that really isn't the case because the expenses and, and the, even the VAT and things, they don't take that into account. They don't even understand what that is, most people. So all of those kind of things, you know, a lot of events need four or 500 people just to break even, even those basic events. So, and that's something difficult a lot of people can't get their head around. But they will look at something like, for example, in the Northwest, Ironman has done a huge amount for triathlon in the Northwest. The number of people that have taken up triathlon. So I, I, where we're sat now in the White Lion pub, you can, you can literally see from here, Winter Hills, just behind us over there. That's where Ironman takes place. The number of people that have taken up triathlon because of Ironman in this area is massive. Massive. And the Northwest is so strong. Look at the top 10 in Ironman UK and Ironman Wales and Ironman Ireland. And a lot of them are Northwest. And that's because of the impact of Ironman UK. Now you can look at it and say, yeah, but they're a commercial organizer. Why should I volunteer for free? And if people don't volunteer their time for free, an event like Ironman UK will go, whether it yep. folds or whether they move or whatever. And that loss will be huge you know, to the triathlon clubs, to the number of people that get into the sport. So I think you have got to be a little bit worried because I hear this quite a bit, this why should I volunteer my time for free to help Ironman UK or another big commercial organiser because they're just making money. You know, they should pay people. But, you know, if it goes, it'll be sadly missed. And I would say the same for Outlaw and all of those kind of things. Yes, they are commercial companies, but they're the ones organising the events. And if those events goes, they, 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 they will really, really be missed. And I'd you know, I always think we're passionate about triathlon, right? We were doing triathlon before people were really running stuff commercially, right? There was one or two people, but not in the way that Ironman is now. And a lot of the people that I know are in triathlon are very successful business people. You know, and the principles that they would apply in running their own business, like maximizing income streams, getting different levels, VIP levels, you know, um, 
Iron Man do, but yet we complain about what Iron Man do because we're passionate about this sport. And when they're doing the thing to the thing, the, the sport that we love, we don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, yeah, we're going to talk about Iron Man in a bit because that's probably different from the other models. But you, Ian Hamilton, and Ian's a friend of mine. We all know Ian. You know him through racing. You've known him, Steve. Ian is passionate. Ian and his family are <laughs> passionate about our law. It's a family event, right? And Ian's been at every single event since it started and Teresa, and the girls, and now they work on the event. So, you know, in my mind, if Ian enjoys his success, that's fine. He's, 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 he's uh, entitled to it because he was the one that risked everything, and he's risked yeah. His, yeah. his own money to put those events on. So I have nothing against that, but I, I think you need to be able to see both sides of the fence. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, think, I think, again, it comes back to what I mentioned earlier, is that, is that um, the, the grassroots sort of... <coughs> level events whether it's triathlon running cycling whatever they're always going to be the most important and they're always going to be the easiest to get volunteers pause for the waitress <laughs> um, and, th- and the reason for that is because they have club members that will volunteer yeah. you know so you look at most triathlons at a grassroots level most you know your, your evening time trials in the summer um they're all run by clubs mm. and and the volunteers are all club members or families of club members so they're they're easiest i've got i'm doing air well air quotes easiest to organize um and that's i think that's just another reason why they'll they'll maintain their importance yeah do you know what i was going to say though so so i ride at the local cycling club wigan wheelers there used to be three 10 mile time trials on the local road for bypass and now they're down to one and the numbers were as low as six to eight people turning up for it mm. So even that stuff, so people say, oh, it's cost to living. It's not, it's not cost to living. Park run was struggling for numbers. Local time trials are struggling for numbers. It's participation. It's not cost to living. But I, I, I just one thing as well, I think it might be worth a conversation is what are the national governing body do in British triathlon? What are British triathlon doing about it? Because for me, I don't think they're doing anything. And I think they've just been riding off the back of event organizers. I'm sorry to criticize, but I think they've ridden off the back of event organizers for too long and riding off the back of that boom. And I don't see what British triathlon are doing to change anything. So, you know, I I see that even just simple things like, you know, what they've tried with Go Try and all this kind of stuff. And it's just been crap, like eight people turning up. I just don't think it's coordinated enough. I don't think the national governing body are particularly clued up. And I just don't know what they're doing to promote the sport. I think they've had an easy ride for 10 years and they've ride, ridden off the back of it. So, you know, that's my, <laughs> that's my blunt opinion on the governing body. They need to pull the finger out and come up with some kind of strategy. See, it's not just Yorkshire people that can be blunt straight to the point. No. <laughs> right, look, let's talk about Iron Man. We've been, we've been chatting about Iron Man UK. We're sat here right in the middle of the Iron Man UK circuit almost. Um, they made an announcement recently. Well, that, things changed after COVID. Firstly, there was a lot of people who'd been deferred with the with the entries, with the legacy entries. And so they had to fit those into 2022. And then because they'd got so many people that had got those legacy entries and also been deferred from previous races, there was too many people for a one-day event. So they split it into two events on the Thursday and the Saturday. And I, I was there. I've been there for the last 20 years. So it felt very strange to me. Uh, particularly volunteering because what would have been volunteering on the Friday and then volunteering on the Saturday now became volunteering on the Wednesday and on the Thursday and on the Friday and the Saturday. 
and we chose our shifts, but there were some people, I guess it would have been a full four-day shift for them. It, exhausting, particularly standing out in that heat. There wasn't enough volunteers, but they committed this, and, and there was a bit of disquiet amongst the local people as well about the fact that the town was closed for a little bit longer. But they announced before this year's race was really done and dusted that it would be the same format next year. But since then, it seemed like there was a little bit of unrest around that at the awards dinner, but and a few people were <clears> reading between the lines, but nothing was said. Then recently, they've announced that actually they're going to move. I heard they announced that without permission. Well, that is the, <laughs> well. There, there's there's stories that the mayor decided without consultation with the locals. That then they Iron Man announced it based on what the mayor had said, and then now he's had to backtrack, and nobody asked the locals for their input. But it now seems like we might be moving the World Championships away from Kona. I know they did St George last year because that was forced <laughs> upon them, but it looks like, although I know that Iron Man are now developing a habit of backtracking on their announcements, that it's going to be split. One year, the men are going to be in Kona, and the ladies are going to be somewhere else, and then. A year later, the ladies are going to be in Kona and the guys are going to be racing somewhere else. We don't know where that's going to be yet. So, gents, you've been invested in Ironman, Mark, although you've never been to Kona, have you? No. Steve, you've been to Kona, you've been doing Ironman for as long yeah. as you've been able to run. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a tricky one. I think there's two, two issues. First one, if you want a successful race in the same location year after year, the one thing you need is local support. <laughs> And all the best Ironman races around the world, uh, not not exclusively, but the majority are, are in small towns where the population get behind the race, provide volunteers, provide police assistance, whatever, whatever. So, you know, you look at the great iconic race, Penticton, Roth, Taupo, yeah. you know, all of those get, they're small towns. And Kona's a small town, you know, it is, it is a, it's a small place. It's a tourist place, but it's a small place. So... In terms of not upsetting the locals, I think that for a race organiser that wants a race in a location, that is priority number one. So, you know, that, that, that makes sense to me. You can only have one, one day's race. Now, if you want that one day's race in Kona, things have got to change because, you know, Ironman have taken more and more, um, entries to Kona. I'm not sure what it's up to now. When I last did it, I think it was about 1,800. Uh, two and a half thousand. Two and a half thousand. And I remember, I remember one of the first years I went, they said, we'll never be able to get more than 2,000 on the pier. On, on the pier. Now so, they've found room for 25% more. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, they could move it off the pier. But the problem is, what's the one thing people complain about Ironman races is drafting, isn't it? So, you know, drafting was an issue when I was there with 1,800. Um, Same for me. You know, it's only going to be, it's only going to be worse to accept more people. You know, the, again, complaints were that the women racing with the men, you know, there was, it wasn't a fair race. It wasn't a straight race for the women. Um, so, th you know, those three big complaints. One, you're upsetting the locals. Two, it's, it's a draft fest. Three, the women weren't getting a fair race. Well, it makes sense to split them up. You know, those are the three big complaints. And by splitting the race, they've basically, or potentially, they can remove those issues. Well, certainly from the women's race. The men's race might still be a draft fest. Depends how many they take and how they do the starts. But that, that you know, that, I think, so from that point of view, I think I, I would, well, I do support the decision. Um, you know, the, the, I think the, the arguments against are valid but less important. You know, people say, oh, well, you know, it's, 
it'd be a shame to race and there's no women racing. But on the other hand, you've got a women's only race. You know, how often do women get to race in a women's only race? Not very often at that level. So I think that again is is a bonus. What about the whole thing about moving part of the race away from Kona? Well, again, it's a world championship, right? I mean, that was the thing that motivated me for thirty years was to go and race in Kona because it's iconic. Yeah, but every other year you can. Oh, so that's another thing. Then does that mean that it becomes more iconic in the years it's not in Kona? The entry's going to drop off. Well, possibly, but you know, initially maybe, but in ten years' time, twenty years' time. Uh, you know, if they want the longevity, people are going to, it's going to fade, isn't it? It will become the case where it's always been that way. Yeah. Well, that, remember that... when, remember <laughs> when they moved it from Oahu? I, I don't. Well, I, I, no, I don't, but you know. <laughs> I was 12 then. I mean, the, the one thought I did have was at the moment they've said, it's, I believe it's going to be Nice and They've not announced Canada, Nice but, yet, have they? I mean, been? a nice idea might be something along the region. Let's pick an iconic race in yeah. North America, Europe, Australasia, maybe South America, maybe Africa, and rotate it around. You know, Nice in Europe, probably, maybe Lanzarote. You know, North America, it's got to be Canada. Taupo or maybe, you know, alternate with Australia in, in um, South Africa and, and South Africa, uh, you know, rotate it around those every, I every, mean, every if, year. You know, if you wanted to, under the radar, bring in moving the potential of moving the world championships around the world, which a lot of people talk about. I mean, let's face it. There's a lot of people that don't like racing in the heat and the humidity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, even amongst the pros, there are certain <clears> types of people that just aren't going to win that yeah, race. A lot yeah. of people say it's a crap course as well. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, it's not it's, the most exciting. It's not yeah. the most exciting, apart from when you're in town and when you get out. Yeah. You get to Harvey and that's the turnaround, then there's probably yeah. a few locals and some people have been out to drive through the mountain to get there. You go, you've got more people at the Waikoloa Resort, which is on the way, but that's yeah. mostly holidaymakers that they've roped into volunteering. <laughs> so apart from when you get into... <laughs> the cone at the center of Kona, and you're on the start of uh, around Hot Corner. There's hardly anybody watching, and it, you know that bit running out to the Energy Lab. Yeah, yeah, desolate. It's the loneliest <laughs> place in the world. Yeah, but you know, if, if you take something like you know Canada or Lanzarote, if you imagine having a world yeah. championship, imagine having the best in the world turn up to Lanzarote. Imagine it in Wales. Wales, even imagine a cyclist, the crowds in the a, middle of the town centre in Wales. A cyclist course. Yeah, you know, you you you, you are giving people. Who might not fe- feature in in Kona, for example? Well, and also all those races you talked about, wetsuit swims. Because yeah, if yeah. you're not, if if you're a average pro or an average age grouper, but you're a good cyclist and yeah. runner, you're probably at a big disadvantage in Kona. Yeah. Um, you certainly, sh- you see some 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 athletes who win races around the world where it's a wetsuit swim, then mm. have, that are way off the pack. And we know from what we've seen recently that racing there is more like an ITU race once they get out of transition <coughs> for the first thirty forty k. Yeah. Well, again, you know, somebody like I don't know who springs to McKeanley, for example. Well, even Joe Skipper. Joe Skipper, yeah, yeah. Somebody who's really, really strong cyclist. Um, it could get a. Especially, it's a different. You know, every other year you're going to get a different race dynamic. Than turning up to Kona. I bet Lionel Sanders is Lionel Sanders. Sanders. I bet Lionel yeah. Sanders Lionel is Sanders. Sanders. for a move away yeah, from Kona, yeah. isn't you know, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Descend or corner, Kelly. That's the problem. <laughs> so, he'll kill himself at Nice. 
<laughs> so anyway, what was your thoughts about Lionel then going to Nice, Mark? I say, well, Lionel himself has said he can't go around corners and go downhill, hasn't he? So he's probably uh, not going to be the best bike handler, is he? Because that's his proper bikers' courses, isn't it? You know, so yeah. it's not just about how much power you can push, but. Yeah, it, it it is interesting. I mean, Nice used to be the World Championships years ago, didn't it? Well, Remember Mark, Mark Allen Mark racing? Allen was winning, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, so, it, so it's got history there as a previous World Championship. But, yeah, the, the one thing I would say about the whole Kona thing as well is, so I've never been to Kona. I've qualified multiple times. And when I didn't go, people always used to say to me, why, why have you not been? You should go. And they were almost angry with me. And I said, well, it's just cost and it's all those kind of things and whatever else. And I've never really, really wanted to go. And then a couple of years ago, I thought, right, what I'm going to do is if I'm going to race Ironman Wales in 2020, 21, and I was going to qualify and I was going to go the year after. So I was planning to go last year to Kona. So in 2021, I was planning to go. And then I had surgery and I didn't go. But it seems to me that one of the things, and this is very difficult saying this without people just thinking, oh, you just sound very elitist. But the thing about Kona, it was always elusive because the reality is you had to get in the top four or five in your age group. If there was two or three spots in your age group, probably the first three people would take them. Mm. And if they didn't, you might roll down to fourth or fifth, but you had to put in a good performance if you want to go to Kona. And what I've seen in the last year or two is that a lot of people don't, if they've been to Kona before or whatever, they don't want to go. And now what you're getting is a roll down where people who are finishing even as low as 50th, 60th, 70th in some cases in their age group are getting qualification slots. Now, if you've been plugging away at it, good on you. And that's if you want to go, you take the slot if it's earned. I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, kind of uh, criticizing people for taking the slots and going. But I do think that iconic thing of being able to qualify has been ruined. And I think they may have well damaged their brand now because um, for me, it's become the people who can afford to go can go. And that's what it is. And especially with the cost were skyrocketed this year, I heard that on the island, they'd cancel a lot of people's accommodation and then put it up for grabs again, at twice the price and all this. I think it may well become, you know, that your chances of qualifying now are much higher than they ever were before. You know, you had to generally finish in the top five. If you go back a couple of years and before that, you had to finish in the top five. And now, to be honest, there's, there's a lot of people who would never, ever have been able to qualify are going. And I say, I don't want that to kind of come across as, oh, you're just being elitist and snobby. I'm really not. But I, I do think Ironman have potentially damaged that brand by, by doing that. Yeah. And if, if you finish 40th, 50th in your age group and it rolls down to you and you want to go, then crack on, you go. But... I think it's sad if it becomes who can afford to go, which suits Iron Man because it's a financial, that's what it is. It's an you know, economic thing. Who can afford to go rather than who qualifies to go. I think that's, that's potentially going to damage it. So I think we've moved on in the last two years away from what it used to be and we're probably looking at a completely different dynamic now. Yeah, and I was reading an article the other day about the executive challenge. You know, people that paying 15000 but they get a VIP slot, they get mm. chauffeur-driven... Um, you know, minivans taking them to the start and finish. They get a, a banqueting dinner. that's separate for everybody else is where they go. They're, they're in the top floor of a fancy restaurant and they get their awards. And But these are the people who can afford. They're, they're used to paying for luxury. They fly first class. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and I, again, I don't. it's that whole thing about I am man of seeing different income streams and know that there are people who are willing to pay for that. And I, I, I want a one in 10 chance of qualifying rather than one in 100. 
And for those people who are passionate about Ironman and that whole thing about qualifying, you know, I've got some pushback about having a, a legacy spot. Like, you know, you don't deserve one. Well, you know, I've spent, I've got more points on my loyalty card than most triathletes. Yeah, that, and yeah. I just wasn't born with the genes that allow me to do endurance events fast. Should that <coughs> discourage people? Should, should that stop me from going to Kona? No, but there should be a, a better way than just turning up to the awards, uh, the roll down or the slot awards and, and crossing my fingers and hoping it rolls down to me. Yeah. Um, and so I and, and also Valerie Silk when she sold it wanted to keep the tapestry of the race the mm. colourful people that perhaps mm. were you know the, the ex the yeah we've coached people ex-rugby players who were great athletes you know they've played they've played for the country but they're just not but they're 15 stone you know but yeah. they get chance to go and race there so yeah, uh, it's a really difficult one. I suppose the part of the problem is that this is what happens when private equity takes over yeah. sports events, isn't it? Is it becomes a money making well, exercise, and it's, and it's like we said before: is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It's just a different thing, and that's what it is. But it has changed, mm. you know, and it, and that's that's just the new norm now. It will be, you know, it'll be open to a lot more people to go, and it will be, um, you know, probably a lot more expensive to go, and all of those kind of things. And that's just what it is now. But I guess. The, the the previous thing of being able to qualify and are you good enough to qualify? I think that's probably a thing of the past now. Mm. Mark, the mm. bike shop. Mm. Last year you were talking about opening a bike <laughs> shop, an exciting new adventure. You've got you've already got a very successful running shop. Just um, give us a quick uh, rundown of how that's gone this year, because anybody would have thought with the scarcity of bike parts and bicycles during the pandemic that opening a bike shop was a basically like finding a gold mine at the bottom of your garden. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of stuff in in the pandemic. There was a lot of that kind of stuff where, you know, Boris was giving out vouchers, wasn't he, for people to go and get the bike repaired and all of that kind of stuff. And the problem was the supply of bike parts and components was so it was so difficult, so scarce, that whilst you would think bike shops were doing really well in lockdown, a lot of them weren't because they just couldn't get the bikes to sell. They couldn't get the components to sell. And by the time that fixed itself, people had stopped buying bikes so actually it swung the other way. What happened is was then an oversupply of stuff and an overproduction of stuff and not enough people buying them and bikes just literally sitting in warehouses and sales have slowed right down and stuff's just kind of, uh, yeah, just, just racking itself up now. So, yeah, it's okay. I mean, I think that the thing for us is, again, it goes back to what we said before about events. It's all about economies of scale, isn't it? So if you are a small local bike shop and you can, can and so we, we, the bike shop already existed over in Aintree, as, as it was called then, Bespoke Cycles, and then we moved it to Croston, the local village here, Croston's, and, and renamed it as Croston Cycles. So we kind of opened a new location and renamed the old bike shop. But um, like Croston Cycles, if you went in, it would be a very much village traditional bike shop and mechanic in there and all that kind of stuff. And you've got that flexibility. You know, it's not like we've got, um, you know, 20 million pounds worth of bikes in there. And those kind of, those are the kind of people that are really going to struggle with a downturn. So you have got the flexibility. But, um, but yeah, it's going pretty well. The running shop's going going okay and ticking over well. So, and, and, the, and the bike shops are ticking over well. But yeah, I, I think it's we just have that traditional traditional bike shop feel, and we have a very very good community as well. So we have a very strong following, a good community locally that support us. So um, you know, th so that's that's what it is, you know. So for anybody listening who lives in the northwest, uh, please do make sure you go and visit Mark's running shop yes. and Mark's bike shop. You'll get passionate support from somebody who's invested in the triathlon and running industry and has been for many years. Absolutely. And, and, you, get, and you get somebody who knows what he's talking about. So, um, <laughs> Steve, I want to chat about challenges and races for next year. So I'm going to ask you, and we're all, we're all going to commit now, so think very carefully about what you're saying. 
Are you going to go back to doing a, another Iron Man next year and try to put right the wrongs? No. Very definite. That. No, no, actually. Um, I'm not going to commit. That's what I meant. I might, but I've got an eye on the 70.3 Worlds. In? Finland. Ooh. Finland, Finland. Yeah. Nice. Okay. nice location. What, yeah, where, yeah. What, what, yeah. When will you have to qualify Putin for that there by then, in right? order to get a place? <laughs> uh, well... If I don't want to travel, I think it's either Swansea or uh, Staffordshire. Which, okay. which They'd have to hold that event fairly early on, wouldn't they? Get, no, get well, Swansea's... No, no, uh, Finland. Oh, it's July, end of July, I believe. Okay. Is it end of July, beginning of August? Something like that. Yeah. seems quite so, early for a World Championship, isn't it? Mm. It gets cold there, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. They'll have to, they won't be able to do it in late September, will they? <laughs> um, but, however, if you do that, uh, gravel ride again I will come and do it with you I'm not doing or it versions I'm, of I'm not doing it this year but we have got some gravel riding um, adventures planned oh, okay, multi yeah. day things with yeah. a bit of rough camping oh, okay. as well yeah let me know interested. let me know um, yeah yeah Mark, Mark um, is triathlon out for you for the time being because of your hamstring no 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 I mean it, it, it sounds ridiculous so basically my injury is that the hamstring where it attaches to the pelvis at the top so it attaches to your sit bone or the ischial tuberosity if you want to give it the posh term only 30-40% of the tendon is still attached and 60% of it has ruptured off. But if I'm doing moderate-paced running, it's actually fine and I can run on it. Because still, 30-40% of a big, thick tendon is still pretty bloody strong. You know how strong tendons are. Yeah. So if it's healthy, it can manage on it. Um, so I'm probably... My plan is to do some... I'm going to just do the races that we organise. So we have some local races. I'm going to do the West Langs Tri, Edgel University, which is a little sprint, and it's always a really popular one. We get five, 600 there. Southport Tri we organised, and that's on closed roads. That's a European uh, Championship qualifier, so I'm going to do Southport Tri. And, um, but, and then I'm going to do Horwich as well, which is local to Rivington Pike over here. We call it the Kona of the North, Horwich. It's known as the Kona of the North. And uh, we do the whole, you know, <laughs> when you, when you finish, like when you, everybody knows Horwich is the Kona of the North. And when you finish, you get, we, we, we get those, you know, those Hawaiian lay, you get one of those at the finish line <laughs> in Bolton. <laughs> so I'm going to do Horwich because it's just the, but the really good local community events and well supported by our local clubs. So rather than do the big ones, I'm just going to do those and then I'll see how we go. And if I'm actually then injury-free and I can, I'm still running by the time I get to May, June, and if there's places available, I might just slot an entry in for Ironman UK. Because what I would say about UK, and again, you know, I know a lot of people criticise Ironman as a big commercial company, but they've done a lot for triathlon in the northwest around here. They've done a huge amount. And when you go and do Ironman UK, I've raced Ironman races all around the world, and people say, oh, the course at Bolton's crap. And it is compared to some of the other courses. But I tell you what, I know everybody here. And the I'm crowds here, away. it's 10 miles from my house and you know everybody on the run. So I just get them taking the piss out of me for like basically nine, nine, 10 hours. Do you know what, Steve? Uh, anybody that says the course in Bolton's crap has ne never did Ironman Lanzarote in the early days when those, those, the tarmac on those roads was so oh, rough, wasn't it? Now, you know. I know, it's like a Formula One race track, but it didn't used to be. Mate, yeah. I did it the first year it ran. Oh. You did a mountain bike on some of them, don't you? Yeah, it was Yeah, awful. do you remember that yeah. bit from Mirador del Rio down that road? It was like riding some of the Flanders cobbles are smooth dodging that. tubes and bottles and gels <laughs> and bars and people <laughs> well I've got um on top of the gravel bike challenges that we've got I'm I'm you know now that I'm back to running I I don't get much pleasure out of doing long distance running in events but I actually think that because I'm generally come out towards the front end of the the swim pack in my age group and I'm 
and I can ride in a group well, I'm actually tempted to take on some drafting short, you know, sprint triathlons next year just to see. I'm not bothered about my placing. I just want, I just like the idea of being in a group. And I think in, there's nothing about having to ride in your own race. If there's other groups going around and they're younger age groups than you and you can slot in with them, then you can get towed along. And it, I'd be interested to see what, what benefit I have from being a good swimmer and a strong cyclist in a pack. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'd, if if anybody's putting on a a, a gravel road bike triathlon, yeah. or or maybe even the Xterra, I might I might be tempted to give those one a go because I, I like the offer. I was still. thinking about Xterra as well because there's one at uh, Western Park. Yeah, it's far from us. Yeah, yeah. well, they used to yeah. do the REC rally there, didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Well, hey, listen, fellas, it's been fabulous to catch up. We should do this next year. Um, have it in person, <laughs> Include, including you can hear that you might be able to hear the dog in the background getting a bit of attention. Um, hopefully, you haven't been uh, you haven't been too disturbed by the people coming and going in the background and the uh, the waitresses bringing our drinks and our food. Um, any final words from you, chaps, before we go? Happy Christmas, everyone! Happy Christmas, everyone! Remember, in twenty twenty three, whatever you're doing, make sure you enjoy it. When you get to our stage in life, it's all about enjoyment and experience, isn't it? <laughs> I can't add much to that, Mark. Uh, so I'm just going to say I agree. Thank you both to to you two guys for being here again. Um, I think we are now, did you say last year it was eight? So I think we might be at nine or ten now. So that's great. Um, you've Something been, like that, yeah. You've been the most popular guests on the show by far. So, yeah, <laughs> happy Christmas. Enjoy the festive season, everyone. And we'll see you again on the other side. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. That's it for 2022. Thank you as always to Mark and Steve for being my guests on this week's podcast. We always have a great deal of fun and I hope you enjoyed it too. I'd also like to say thank you to you for listening to the show this year. Whether you listen every week or occasionally, I appreciate that you have a lot of choice out there and that you chose to listen to this show. To make sure you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to iTunes, search for high performance human triathlon podcast and click the subscribe button if you're interested please don't forget to register your interest for the nutrition program starting soon so that's it have a happy new year and i will definitely see you with more great guests in 2023